Welcome to Haunted Talks, the official podcast of The Haunted Walk, offering thematic walking tours and paranormal adventures in Kingston, Ottawa, and Toronto, Ontario. My name is Jim Dean, I am the creative director, and I really appreciate you joining us for today's show. If I asked you to name the greatest magician that ever lived, chances are one of two names would come to mind, but only one of them is idolized by David Copperfield. Close to a hundred years after his death, the name Houdini is still synonymous with the unbelievable, the spectacular, and the magical. His illusions and stunts were legendary. He made elephants disappear on stage escaped from straitjackets while suspended high in the air, submerged underwater, and even while buried underground. He routinely swallowed a hundred needles on a long thread, showing his empty mouth to the crowd, then proceeding to pull the thread back out again. The crowds could not get enough of him. Tragically, it ended up costing him his life all of which set the stage for his attempt at what would be the greatest performance of his storied career. Could Houdini successfully send a message from beyond the grave? But before we get to that, we have reached the final two weekends of our Halloween season, which has been absolutely exceptional so far. There is no better time of year to join us than right now, We have adventures that take you to haunted jails, haunted museums, haunted forts, haunted villages, and even a seance, and a run-in with zombies in an old Cold War-era military bunker. If you haven't had the chance to join us yet, I hope to see you out this weekend or next. Information about all our tours and experiences can be found on our website, which is hauntedwalk.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all three, at Haunted Walk. And if you have a moment to write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us, it would be greatly appreciated. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you know when the new episodes are coming out. Eric Weiss was born in Budapest in 1874. At the age of four, the family moves to Wisconsin and eventually on to New York City. Young Eric was blessed with great athletic abilities, which he used as a nine-year-old trapeze artist and later as a long-distance runner. When Weiss became a professional magician, he began calling himself Harry Houdini, after the French magician Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin, after reading Robert Houdin's biography in 1890. Weiss incorrectly believed that an I at the end of a name meant like in French. Houdini's magic career began in 1891, and it was a struggle for many years of just getting by. He got his big break in 1899, when a new manager suggested he should focus on escape acts and go on the vaudeville circuit. He quickly became known as the Handcuff King, and for close to three decades, he amazed audiences around the world. In 1913, the death of his mother had a profound effect upon Houdini. He began to visit mediums in the hopes of connecting with her from beyond the grave. 
With his expertise in misdirection and sleight of hand, he quickly came to the conclusion that spiritualism was nothing more than a fraud, a way of extracting money out of the vulnerable and heartbroken. Luckily, I know someone who has brought back the tradition of the authentic Victorian seance, and that's James White, our good friend and mind reader who hosts our seance at Black Creek. Historically speaking, Spiritualism was extremely popular, particularly around the 1920s. And one of the most popular forms spiritualism took were the idea of holding seances. So what is a seance? So a seance is basically the kind of techniques that mediums and psychics use to try to communicate with the dead. So essentially a lot of people, I guess when you watch movies and stuff, you kind of think of those like eight people holding hands in a circle that's one form of seances because there's many different techniques, right? So that's called table wrapping, for example. In addition to table wrapping, what other techniques were commonly used? Automatic writing, basically the medium just able to pick up things, you know, anything, you know, like um, they give you an object and tell you what it is, talking to your lost or loved ones. They sometimes use a Ouija board, but back then they actually started with the pendulum. So the pendulum was kind of the primitive version of a Ouija board. And people at these seances, they would experience some very bizarre phenomena, right? Yeah, or they would like to think they are. But the thing is, a lot of times you could argue that it was all a trick. Why are all seances done in the dark? (laughs) So maybe we'll just get directly into that question. Now, uh, what level of kind of fraud or, or fakery is involved, was involved with seances at that time period? What type of tricks would they be using to try to convince their audience that they were in fact communicating with the other side. So I guess the the best example is the Fox sisters. You, like, do you know who the Fox sisters are? Please tell us. Okay, so the Fox sisters are kind of the original spiritualism, the first seances. And so there are three sisters, and what happened is they basically first convinced their mom when they were younger by basically putting an apple with a cord behind a wall and pulling the cord, and that's what made the kind of knocking sounds, and that's why a lot of seances nowadays, you associate the knocks through the wall because of them, because of that apple through the cord. And so when they were doing their table wrapping and stuff, they would have everyone hold hands. And what they were actually doing were they were basically crunching their joints to make like a, a, a knock sound. Does that kind of make sense? So like think of your knees or your toes when you kind of snap them and they make a cr- like a crunchy sound. That was what they would be making and they would say it was coming from the spirit in the house. <laughs> and so they eventually got caught as being frauds. And what's kind of crazy about it all is once they got caught, Within five years, all three of them died, and they were all in poverty. So it's just like a weird kind of thing, you know, a weird kind of mystery. So it's much closer to, like, magic. It's an illusion perpetrated on the audience. Yeah, essentially. So the reason why when you're doing a seance, why is it always dark is because what they used to do is they would have fake hands and stuff because you know how everyone holds hands so the mediums can't do anything. So everyone's holding hands, and what would happen is they would put it dark and they would give the person beside them a fake hand, and they would slip their hand under them, if that makes any sense to make a sound like if there's an instrument down there, they would hit the instrument or whatever it is. But in the pitch dark, you could not tell. So in your research, do you believe that any of these uh, these psychics, these mediums who, who would hold seances, actually had some type of supernatural paranormal power, or more likely than not, they were just really good at kind of concealing their actions, what they were doing, and how they were making things manifest. I guess it's like I do want to believe, but I haven't been convinced yet. So I haven't seen any evidence that's convinced me that, oh, yeah, that's an actual authentic seance, or that's actually been real. Like, I'm just trying to be neutral in that sense, because I do seances for a living, as you know. 
but um, I just want to say I haven't seen anything that's really convinced me in the past. Kind of same views of Houdini, I guess. And how do you keep your neutrality, I guess, when you're hosting the seances? It's because I think what we do is we take a modern take on the seance. So what we do is we go into this, you know, so it can go for skeptical people. It could go to people who believe in whatever the group is. It's kind of their event, their experience. So a lot of stuff happens to them. And there is some stuff that I can't explain, but maybe it was just them, you know, with their memory being lost. So what I mean by that is there's been times where, like, let's say a photo moved and I wasn't sure if the photo was there at the start, but they were so convinced it was, but it could just be the fact that, you know, eyewitness testimony or memory is not that accurate as you think it is. You know what I mean? Like you're creating your own reality, but I'm not going to take anything away from anyone who does believe in it. If you believe in it, you have an experience, that's your experience. And who am I to say if it was real or not? Because if you believe it was real, I believe it was as well, in my opinion. Basically, I guess the kind of thing with seances, they really died down. Like you don't really see them no more and stuff. And I think the reason why it was so popular back then was because, you know, you didn't have TV, didn't have all these things. People wanted to believe there's another side. It's much easier to trick a person back then than it is now. So I think that's why you don't don't see it, but you could argue some of the religions and some of the medium stuff you see now is the modern new version of seances. Shortly after the end of World War I, spiritualism really reached its peak, with so many lives lost and so many survivors trying to make contact. And while he wanted to believe in the idea of connection beyond the borders of death, Houdini famously exposed several of the most well-known mediums of the time as frauds and charlatans. Most famously was his debunking of the nation's most credible spirit medium, Marjorie Crandon, a pretty 36-year-old flapper with blue eyes and a bob who was also known as the Blonde Witch of Lime Street in Boston. Crandon, who was born in Princeton, Ontario, and moved to the U.S. at an early age, was able to channel her deceased brother, Walter, whose spirit rapped out messages, tipped tables, and even sounded trumpets. She also often conducted seances in the nude, while extruding a slithery, viscous substance known as ectoplasm from, well, her orifices. It almost sounds ridiculous today. But there were many believers, including Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, author of the Sherlock Holmes mysteries and a man of impeccable reputation, who was certain of Crandon's abilities after witnessing a seance in his London home. When Houdini heard that a group of well-respected scientists were about to confirm her supernatural abilities, he immediately headed to Boston to see for himself. And he got quite a show. Walter provided a series of spectacles, including ringing a bell on command, throwing or moving objects around the room, and at the end of that first show, Houdini believed she was a fraud. He thought he had figured it out, but asked for a second show to confirm his findings. At the second, while a table was levitating in the air, in the dark, Houdini reached under the table and caught Crandon red-handed. A short time later, Houdini ends up publishing a pamphlet called Houdini Exposes the Tricks Used by the Boston Medium Marjorie, which was complete with drawings of how she produced her manifestations. In fact, Houdini would go so far as to humiliate her on stage by showing his audiences how her effects worked, all for the sake of a laugh. Spiritualists around the world were enraged as were the spirits they contacted. During one seance, 
Walter was reported as screaming out, Houdini, you goddamn son of a bitch. I put a curse on you now that will follow you every day for the rest of your short life. And later ominously declared, Houdini will be dead within the year. All of these events set the stage for the final tragic month of Houdini's life. In early October 1926, Houdini fractured his left ankle while performing in Albany, New York. Against his doctor's advice, he continued on with his tour. On October 22nd, while in Montreal, he invited some McGill University students to visit with him in his dressing room. Due to the excruciating pain in his ankle, Houdini was laying down on a couch while speaking to the students. At one point, a student named J. Gordon Whitehead arrived and asked Houdini if it was true that he could resist hard punches to the stomach, a claim the magician had supposedly made in public. According to a witness, when Houdini said the rumors were in fact true, Whitehead abruptly delivered four or five terribly forceful, deliberate, well-directed blows to his stomach. Without being given the opportunity to prepare for the punches, Houdini was left in considerable pain, and while he brushed it off, over the next few days his condition worsened with severe pain and a high fever. A doctor advised him to go to the hospital for immediate surgery, but Houdini decided to first complete his show, as planned, on October 24th at the Garrick Theatre in Detroit. As the curtain came down at the end of that show, he collapsed and was immediately rushed into surgery for an appendicitis. While the surgery was successful, the damage caused by the delay had been done, and Harry Houdini died in Detroit on Halloween night, 1926. While a ruptured appendix was ruled as the official cause of death, a small minority continued to believe it was the spiritualists who were to blame for Houdini's death, allegedly poisoning the magician in revenge for exposing their lies. Around 10 years ago, the unsuccessful idea was floated to even exhume Houdini's body to test this theory. At his funeral, the Society of American Magicians, of which Houdini was the president, performed the first broken wand ceremony, where one of Houdini's wands was broken in half to show that the magic had left with the death of the magician. The society continues to perform this ceremony each year at Houdini's grave. Before his death, Houdini and Bess, his wife and stage assistant, made the solemn vow that whomever died first would, if at all possible, send a message from beyond death. They worked out a special code only known to each other, which would confirm the message could have only been sent by the other. Given how much time he spent debunking mediums, it is somewhat ironic that every year on the anniversary of his death, Halloween night, Bess would hold a seance for Houdini, a tradition she held for 10 years, waiting for that familiar voice to whisper those magic words in her ear. The final one was held on the roof of the Knickerbocker Hotel in Los Angeles. During the event, a thunder boom reportedly ripped through the sky, followed by torrential rain. But the handcuffs meant for the ghost of Houdini to unlock 
amongst other props for potential spirit handling, remained unchanged. While it was the final seance for Houdini's wife, Bess, it certainly was not the last seance. Since then, every year, there are seances for Houdini held by fans and organizations all around the world. As far as I know, the master has not yet made an appearance. But that's not to say his spirit hasn't been felt. Given his magical abilities and interest in the supernatural, it should not be too surprising to hear that some believe his spirit still lingers in some of his old haunts. Houdini had a Hollywood mansion that he loved, and after the building burnt down in 1959, visitors began to claim to see the magician's ghost wandering the grounds. Another Houdini hotspot was the Houdini Magical Hall of Fame in Niagara Falls, which was a public museum and tourist attraction devoted to the legendary magician, which opened in 1968 and operated until a fire destroyed it and many of the irreplaceable artifacts in 1995. But could it have been an act of arson by Houdini himself? The magician had bequeathed many of his props, papers, and other personal items to his brother, with the very firm instruction that they should all be burned so that all of his secrets would be preserved. Unable to do so, the items were left in storage for 40 years before being sold to the Houdini Magical Hall of Fame, which then displayed them expressly against Houdini's wishes. Some believe that the 1995 fire was Houdini carrying out his instructions to his brother for himself. Ironically, the Montreal Theatre where he took the fatal punches was later converted into a multi-screen movie theatre. It also suffered a major fire. Over the years, there were also reports by staff members who worked in the building of seeing Houdini's ghost. And while I'm not sure if it's related, but looking back at the location, which is 480 St. Catherine Street in Montreal, over the past 10 years on Google Maps, it appears to be empty and up for rent the vast majority of the time. On Halloween night, when you have a quiet moment maybe after the last of the trick-or-treaters have gone home, or before heading out for the night, give some thought to Harry Houdini and see what happens. Be sure to let us know if anything does. While it is uncertain if Houdini has the ability to communicate from beyond the grave, there is no doubt of the incredible impact he had upon magic, show business, and most importantly, human imagination and wonder. Special thanks to James White, our resident mind reader and host of The Seance at Black Creek. If you'd like to learn more about the Houdini story, particularly connected to his time in Montreal, I highly recommend checking out a blog post by our good friend Donovan King, who we had on in episode 36 from Haunted Montreal. He has a great post on, on Houdini in Montreal, and I highly encourage you to go check that out at the website hauntedmontreal.com. As always, thank you to our amazing Haunted Talks team, including Jillian Walkerchuk, our expert guest wrangler, Michelle Dennis, our awesome audio editor, and to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for the additional music. Grab your tickets for our final two weekends 
of the Halloween season on our website. You can also find all the tour information there, and that is hauntedwalk.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all three at Haunted Walk. And if you have a moment, please be sure to subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to us. Until we meet again next week, sweet dreams. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.